our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Hello and welcome to Girls That Invest. Today we have a very special guest that has joined into the show. We have Anna here from Perla. She is the head of product and community. She is a fantastic human, a Canadian expat living in Australia who is on the journey to financial independence. And you may be wondering, Simran, this name, this person sounds really familiar. And it is because this is actually a guest we've had on the show previously on Money Mindset. It was one of our most listened to episodes ever. And we just had to bring Anna back. It was fantastic. We got to talk to her today about so many interesting things when it comes to money and children, things like your money mindset and does it even shift once you've had children or does it stay the same? The things that Anna splurged on that she found really helpful during pregnancy and you know the birth of her first and then second child and also things that she looks back on and goes, I did not need to be spending money there or these were lies. We do not need to be buying that. We got to spend a lot of time talking about her investing style, how it changed, the strategies that she was using that was different for her and her children, and more importantly, the focus on still being an independent person and being your own person with your own investment goals, your own financial well-being and general well-being and encompassing being a parent. So it was such an interesting episode. I cannot wait for you to have a listen. I am definitely coming back to this and just so many great nuggets. And without further ado, Here's the show. Now, before we begin, we want to take a moment to thank our season sponsor for powering this week's episode. Are you ready to take control of your financial future and you don't know where to begin? Meet Perla, the Aussie investing platform that makes it easy for anyone to invest in the stock market and build a sensible, diversified portfolio. With Perla, you can start investing with as little as $5. Perla's unique community-driven experience guides you through the process of selecting your investment goals, creating a portfolio tailored to your needs and tracking your progress over time. One of the things that we love most about Perla is their commitment to financial education. Perla commits to empowering investors through tools like template portfolios with access to easier investing and supportive community connections. Perla also offers great insight and data that help pave the way for equitable investing. 
Their research finds women are investing more of their income than men and more women invest on their platform than men. Perla also walks the walk with open pay transparency to help facilitate open conversations about wage, roles and opportunities within the financial industry. If you're feeling overwhelmed by all the options, Perla's platform is intuitive and easy to use with powerful tools that give you control over your investments. You can track your portfolio's performance, set up automatic investments and even invite friends and family to invest alongside you. Don't wait to start building your financial future. Check out Perla.com today and start investing in your goals. All right. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us again. This is the second time that we're having you on the show. Yeah, it's such an honor. Thank you. I have to say, I don't think we've had anyone come back more than once. Maybe Sonia is the only other person that's been allowed back in on the show after an episode. But we had so much great success with the mindset episode that we did. It's one of our top to date, top listen episodes ever on Girls That Invest. Wow. I had no clue. I I feel absolutely honored and grateful. So thank you for having me back. It is fantastic. A lot has changed since we last spoke though. And so today we really wanted to dive into what sort of shifts have happened or what's been different, what stayed the same after a really big life change. And the life change is the most recent bundle of joy added into, into your world. It's crazy. Once you have a child, or in my case, now I have two, your life really drastically changes. And it's something you hear all the time, but you don't realize it until you live it. I've heard that like one is like, not fine, but like easy, but two is like a hundred. Is that, is that true? Yeah. It, for some things, it's they're equal, but other things, it's very difficult. One of the biggest and most stressful moments of my life was traveling with two children. Nothing would have prepared me for that. So just balancing two at different ages and different capacities is probably the most stressful time in my life. But uh, yeah, it, it changes everything. Everything about your life and even your identity is different as you previously knew it. I want to jump onto the identity part really quickly because as we were saying off air, I always feel funny when we interview people and talk to them about things like their children or being a parent because it almost comes across like you're starting to move away from you are an individual and more like you're an individual with a kid. And therefore I want to ask you about children. Have you found that in the conversations that you have now, or at least like pre-kids versus the two that you have now, that that has been a recurring theme? Because you are in the money space as well. You have your new podcast, which is fantastic. And everyone needs to have a listen. We'll put it in the show notes. Do you find that you get more like, how do you raise children with money type questions? Uh, Absolutely. Like I said, your whole life changes. And I think that as someone who was very career driven and still am, that was a huge part of my identity. You know, I, I used to play sports. So being athletic was a huge part of my identity. And then all of a sudden you have children and your identity becomes mother, mom, mama. Like that's it. Especially in the first year, because you're thinking about making sure your child doesn't choke, making sure they eat enough, making sure their bowel movements are correct. You know, all of these things are fully taking over your mind. And for for people who decide to go on parental leave and become the primary care, that really does become their identity. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some people love it and other people want to still hold on to their past lives, such as myself. And so when I went on my first parental leave, actually what I did is I started writing socially about wanting to achieve financial independence, which was 
something that I was working towards when I was uh, going through my first pregnancy and trying to document that. And in the beginning, it was quite easy to stay cheap during my pregnancy and in that first year that my child was my life. There was a huge focus on buying secondhand, keeping costs low, but a lot of that has also changed. And so my identity as a parent started to shift as well. But because I was writing about finances and about parenthood, those two things kind of overlapped for me. And it just so happened that uh, Nick, who's the CEO of Perler, reached out to me. He's like, I love what you're doing. You also work in tech. You work in product. That's obviously a passion of yours. Let's chat. And um, because I love the philosophy of Perler and I loved finance and all of this kind of meshed together. So I'm in a very fortunate and grateful situation where I get to take my passion and my love of this stuff and talk about it. And especially in the finance space, because I don't think there's enough conversation of how your life changes once you become a parent financially. It can be a huge strain. I'm trying to hold on to my past identity, you know, all, all of those things, still career driven, still loving finance. I do have a different role. I am a now a parent of two kids. So um, it's, it's a balancing act in indeed, and it sways back and forth. Sometimes you're more on the mom side and sometimes you're more on the career side. And then there's the other side, if you're partnered, how to be a good partner in that mix too. And that can be a huge strain that doesn't get talked enough about as well once you have children. Wow, that is so many things to do. That is a lot. I have a lot of respect respect for that. Would you say that who you were, you say, you know, you try to hold on to your identity, which I think is so important and isn't talked about enough in terms of your money identity or your money mindset, pre-children to, you know, we talked um, when you had your first child and, and now that you've got your second, has your money mindset continued to shift as you've, I guess, had more children or had more responsibility or has it stayed the same since, you know, when you were 20? Yeah, it's absolutely shifted. And oh, I didn't I didn't want to admit this. I didn't want to admit this, but I came to the realization the other day that when I was prior to having children, I really wanted to reach financial independence. You know, I really wanted to have the option to work or not or whatever it, it is. I still kind of do, but I'm more on a slower path. There are things that instead of rushing to get there, I'm wanting to take the slower path. And it's because there are other priorities now. There are little humans there. There are things that I want to provide for them and give them. Before, I was very happy to rent. And there's nothing against renting. I love renting. I never wanted to buy property again was kind of where I was at. But once I had children, that shifted for me. All of a sudden, I wanted a backyard and I wanted an extra room and so forth. So all of a sudden, lifestyle creep has become a part of my financial life, which I I'm embarrassed to say because that's not something I wanted to do before. It was about being lean and looking at your budget and that some of those things do shift and parents sometimes do want to spoil their kids. You know, that's something that I've I read in a study online that parents are more likely to now spend money on children than they are on, them, on themselves because they get that instant gratification. So I try really hard not to do that, but there are shifts that absolutely have happened in in the way that I think about money that doesn't take away from wanting to still keep my expenses low, wanting to save and especially invest for my kids and for our own uh, family and financial future. Oh, so 
I love that you're like, I'm embarrassed. I want to give my kids a backyard. <laughs> like, how do you? <laughs> that is such, would you say lifestyle creep has been things like, obviously there are needs and things that make a child's life easier. Has there been any lifestyle creeps that you look at and you're like, oh my goodness, I actually do not want to admit to myself that I've done this or I've spent this much money when, you know, babies were born. Were there things that you look at now that you thought you would never spend money on? Oh, I think the most that I've spent recently has literally been on a house. We bought a house about, I think, a year and a half ago now. And it was to set it up in a way that you wanted for a family that was functional. So that's probably where the biggest cost came. But we were quite frugal with the kids and we're still trying to be, you know, a lot of our furniture is secondhand, all of our baby things are secondhand. In fact, I heard somewhere that everything that your baby needs already exists. And that mm. I couldn't get that out of my head. It's true. I don't need an absolutely brand new cot, maybe a mattress, you know, for safety and hygienic reasons, maybe a car seat. But literally everything else, the clothes exist, they barely wear it. And so going with that mentality was I was trying to keep costs low. And then similarly, a friend said to me, do not buy anything until you absolutely need it. Because you walk into a store that sells baby clothes. We have baby bunting in Australia. I don't know if it's in New Zealand as well. <laughs> but you walk in and it's everything's cute. Everything's adorable. You want to buy everything. And it's set up that way. But you really don't need warmers for your baby wipes. And you don't <laughs> absolutely need, you know, 20 different colored newborn tops because they wear it for one week. They'll grow out of it. I promise you. It's not worth it. So those were the things that I fortunately had a few friends who had kids who were able to give me that advice. So I didn't spend too much on them when they were little, but they, as they get older, unfortunately, they get more and more expensive. So even if you think childcare is expensive, they get more expensive as they grow. I haven't hit that part where they're going to need, you know, uniforms and outfits for sports and being driven everywhere, but that's to come. Oh my God. Yeah. You just never think about those things. On that topic, would you say that there were a few things that you did splurge on or invest on so far, either when you were pregnant or as they're continuing to grow that you're like, look, I absolutely recommend this. Like if you are about to be a parent or you have someone in your life that's about to be a parent, yes, it's a bit costly, but it has paid dividends. Is there anything like that that you've experienced? I would say on yourself because you'll mm. never get that time back. You'll always be a parent after you become a parent. The time before taking, especially if you're the one carrying a child, taking the time to go to an osteo or you know a chiropractor or whatever it is, go get your nails done if that's your thing, go get a haircut. You won't have time for that. So being able to pamper yourself and emotionally and mentally put yourself in a good place and put yourself first, because often being a parent is very selfless. You know, you have to give and give and give and you get nothing in return. Well, that's not true. You get cuddles and kisses and, you know, all those beautiful things. But being able to spend time on yourself is really important. And I really did take the time to do that. I would absolutely recommend that for any parent. And just, you know, investing in people who look after your kids so that you can get a time 
to go on a date or time for yourself to go run those errands that you have neglected for yourself, you know, something lovely for yourself once your kids are born is really important. So I would say that that is something that I do not regret spending time and money on. And I would absolutely encourage people to do that because once the kids come, it's so hard to find that time. What was the thing that you would do? Was it your nails? Was it your hair? Was it the chiropractor? Yeah, I definitely went for dry needling, I think. Like just (laughs) Yeah. So I did that. I did get my hair done. My mom came, so we got our nails done. We did all of those things. I actually even wanted to go on a date with my partner uh, when our first bub came to go see a movie. I realized that was a bad idea. Very uncomfortable when you're you know, just about to pop <laughs> to go sit in the movie theater. But the point was getting out, going, doing something special to make that time for yourself, whether it's a baby moon or just a date or, you know, taking yourself out to have a beautiful meal. It's just, it's just something special you can do. In your experience, do you think enough people are investing in themselves during this period of their lives? Or do you like, do you see a shift or do you think there's more work that needs to be done? Cause I'm starting to feel like you're in the minority. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to let yourself go. I have no support. We have no family where we live and it's so easy to, you know, not look after yourself. And in fact, that was one of the things I wanted to do this year was look after myself. So I think that (laughs) that's something I wish I spent. I did the things, but I didn't do it enough. You know, I wish I did more of it. Uh, So I did do the things, but they were rushed. It was like, oh, I should get a haircut quickly, but I wish I enjoyed it more. I think so. So I'm hearing, get more blow dries go out and like (laughs) go do the things yes because um you just won't have the time you know and sometimes it's just worth the money to just do that thing for yourself right and on the on the same note what were things that people told you to spend money on that the advice you know was this is really important you should do this either like once you've had children or in the process of that you think were absolutely wastes of money and you just feel like it's a big myth that no one seems to be talking about were there any things like that. I think a big one was just you need to buy everything and be fully prepared when bub comes. As though the stores don't exist once bub is here, you know, as though someone can't go run an errand. In in fact, you might buy a bunch of things you don't need. You may not need a bouncer and you may not need a breast pump and you may not need all these things because you've chosen to do something differently, you know, and that's okay. So I think that some of those things that don't feel urgent, they can wait. Or you can wait for them, you know, like you don't need everything right now, but you know, some, you want to be prepared. A lot of people want to nest beforehand. So I can't really think of something exactly because most people actually gave me great tips on saving money because they just, you know, were like, you don't need this. You don't need this. You don't need this. But there are some big brand baby brands that everyone swears by. So I don't know, you know, like, is it really important to get that? name brand cod or that name brand high chair maybe but probably not (laughs) something i have not been privy to for a very long time that has just blown my mind is how much range there is in a baby product pricing and so you can get a stroller that is twelve dollars and you can get a stroller that's two thousand dollars and that just i didn't realize that there was such a market for it do you find that was the advice that was really helpful around saving was it you know splurge out get the nice stuff or was it, they don't matter, they're all the same, the baby moves either way in the stroller? Yeah, it was It was really the latter. But then there are people who are absolutely swear by certain brands, you know, whether it's the, I think the Stokey, I don't know how you pronounce it, S-T-O, 
uh, KKE is the brand that everyone swears by for high chairs and so forth. We do have one. But the, the route <laughs> that we went was not to buy it firsthand, like buy it new. We bought it secondhand. And in fact, often you can buy things secondhand and sell it for the exact same price that you bought it at. Because it's already a bit beat up, you know. You bought it at half price. You can probably sell it at half price, as long as you put a um, notification on, you know, wherever you're looking on marketplace or so forth to let you know when they're when someone's selling it. Because often they go quickly, so you gotta have to jump on that. So that was kind of the hack that I was doing. I was like, oh, I'm just gonna buy it secondhand and then sell it for the exact same price. Because why not? That is so helpful. And the thing is, you don't even have to just apply that to children. Like you can do that with anything. If you need like a desk in your office, get a secondhand one and do the exact same thing. Oh, that's interesting. I have to ask. I know we're not like a, a budgeting podcast or like how do you save $2 or $3 here, but you said people gave you a lot of good advice. And if you say it's good advice on saving, I want to hear it. What were the most helpful money saving tips when it came to being a new parent? I think I mentioned them. It was really do not buy it unless you need it. Do not get sucked into the hype. Do not buy newborn clothes. Literally do not buy anything from, you know, zero to one year, you know, 12 months, because everyone's going to give you that stuff and they grow out of it so quickly. And they really, really do. That is probably what you can find secondhand that still has tags if you go to the secondhand shop. Because you end up not, your baby doesn't wear that stuff. I think the most practical advice was to buy Bond stuff, <laughs> which is a brand that is notorious for double zippers. You know, you can flip the parts on the hands and the feet to keep them warm. They're great. They're fantastic. That's probably number one. Do not get buttons for anyone's back because your baby's lying down for the first six months. Like that's just silly. Oh, yeah. So these are things that I didn't know, but I just had friends to help me out with that stuff. And I think that that really kept me from buying things because it's just, it's overwhelming. You know, you're like, oh, they need a pacifier. They need a, or a dummy or whatever mm -hmm. you call it. Everyone calls it differently. You need to buy that. And it's like, well, do you, does your baby really <laughs> need it? Like, yes, babies have them all the time, but maybe your baby won't take it. You know, maybe your baby won't even use the bottle that you bought. Ideally, if you have a friend who has a baby, they probably want to get rid of all their baby stuff. <laughs> take their hand-me-downs, check out what works, what doesn't, and then you can adjust as needed. So what I guess our, our listeners can take away is to invest in finding friendships where children are there. Like invest in having a friend that's got like a four-year-old because you're like, when I have a kid, she's not going to need that stuff anymore. Exactly. I love that. That's very smart. But there's so many mom groups. That's the other thing. There's so many mom groups, whether you join Facebook or even I think there's an app called Peanut, I believe. I think that's the name. I'd have to double check. But, you know, you can meet other people and they're kind of in similar situations. So it's it's lovely. Lovely to be able to bounce ideas off of and get free stuff and and, and talk about those things. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it, from local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. 
So how can Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increase revenue, expanded reach, and enhance customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. Moving into the investment space, I have to ask, you know, when we last talked, you spoke a little bit about your investing style around your money mindset. And for those that may not have had the chance to listen, first of all, definitely do. It was more around the idea of, you know, getting rich slowly, passive investing. It wasn't a lot of, you know, active companies. Has anything shifted as time has moved on and as maybe you have other priorities in life, you've mentioned that the financial independence retire early goal has maybe been pushed out a little bit. Does that mean your investment style has changed too? It hasn't. I think passive investing, you know, broad index funds, still the same. You know, I think at Perler, everything's so easy as well. We simplify things, you can automate things, you can round up things and those work whether you're a parent or not, and or whether you're a child. So that investment hasn't changed for me, nor has it for my children. We put some money aside for our kids in order for them to access when they're older for their investments. And that's exactly the same. You know, it's just sits there. If there's any birthday money or money that we want to put aside, same thing, low cost index funds for the long term. And ideally, I think when they get a little bit older and they understand what investing is, it's a great way or tool to to share with them as well and be like, listen, you put in $5. Now that $5 has grown. And if you continue to put $5 every you know month or whatever it might be, you can actually kind of show them that way. So I think that my personal investing strategy has not shifted at all. And I don't think it will for my children either. So it's kind of nice because they align with one another and it goes back to kind of simplifying, automating, and also be able to set goals. That's the other thing. Being able to set visual goals, I think is really helpful for me as an adult, but surely it's helpful for kids as well, right? Being able to be like, if I keep doing this $5, oh my gosh, I'm going to have $2,000 at X amount of time. How exciting. That mind blown for a little kid, right? So investing is for everyone, really. It definitely is. Would you say that investing was a conversation that you felt comfortable having quite early on with your children? Or a lot of people say like, when do I start talking to them about money? On one hand, I want them to feel like they can still be a kid and I don't want them to stress. But at the other hand, you know, if I had gotten this financial literacy so much earlier, it would have put me in a better spot. So how do you handle that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think... It comes down to, again, thinking about your own money mindset, your own relationship, your own money biases, how they play into it, and then trying not to project some of the negativity or (laughs) the overly positivity on your kid, but just being neutral about it. We use money. When we go to the shop, we use money and we have to buy the things. But in order to get money, we have to work. And this is why you have to go to childcare or this is why, (laughs) you know, we're doing the things and just having a really normal conversation. One of my kids is three and understands that mama has to go to work so that we have money, so that we have electricity. How like the two got connected to electricity, but that's a big thing. Like the electricity gets paid for, the lights get paid for. And just having a kind of simple conversation, but then using it in real life examples. So 
our neighbors uh, were having a garage sale and there were two little boys that were selling a bookshelf. I needed a bookshelf. We went over with a couple coins and my kid passed over the coins to, to these kids that were selling. And my kid was a little bit upset that these coins that were being played with are now, because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> being play, playing with coins, coins are fun to play with. We don't really see physical money. We're now being passed off. And, but in exchange, we got this physical thing that we got to take home. And so just having those real examples and even just being able to play with fake money can kind of talk about that without making money a big deal. Because yes, it's a part of our everyday life, but we don't want to create stigma around money. We don't want them to be afraid about money. We don't want them to not want to give those coins away because they're so precious about money. But we need to just have those regular conversations so that kids can understand that it's a part of every day. And as they get older, there's you know how to earn money. So whether that's pocket money or, or doing odd things like you know, garage sales. So uh, selling things as well. Mm -hmm. And then what do you do with that money? How to spend that money? So now you've got this money because you sold your truck, you're earning and you're spending, what are you going to spend it on? And there's a lot of that delayed gratification that we have lost in the sense of, you know, instant gratifications with everything that dopamine hit, we see it with technology, but being able to also just discuss that it's like, oh, if you want to buy this new item, how long is it going to take you to save for that? And kind of instilling that delayed gratification comes back to the goal setting, comes back to investing. So even though it might be something that takes a month to save or a couple months to save, very different than investing for when you're 21, which is a very longer time horizon. But instilling those same thoughts really helps kids kind of grow and have a more natural and organic understanding of money and, and what it can do for them. So... Yeah, that's kind of how we try to talk about money in our place and we'll continue to. Would you say it therefore means less like formal sit down? Because I always imagine that it's like more of a formal sit down. You're like, hey, kids, like this is what money is. It seems like it's more you almost not tone it down, but you make it seem so insignificant as if it's just a normal part of life. Like, hey, as we're doing something, I'm teaching you about money. Do you find that's more helpful than like a lecture style PowerPoint presentation? For sure. One of the great examples, I think actually that Tash, uh, that I co-host the Get Rich Slow Club with, she was saying how in her family, they talked about how you can own a store or own, you know, a, a part of a store. And as a kid, that's so magical. Imagine, you know, you can, you can own that grocery store or that department store. You can actually own a piece of it. So creating kind of an organic conversation is much easier than, you know, no one wants to think about math and compound interest when you're six or seven years old. That's not interesting. But being able to kind of give examples of real world examples is really fun. Plus they get excited. Uh, I can definitely see that happening. So now that you have, you know, your own investing strategy that is working for you and it's towards financial independence, do you have like a goal in mind with your children's investment portfolios? Is it like to get them to financial independence early as well? Or is it just the same funds that you use? Or is it a different strategy? Because I guess they have a different time horizon, but it's still your risk tolerance that you're using. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. The way I think about it is a bit twofold. My kids are still quite young. So the money that we've invested on behalf of them, they don't know about. And in fact, I don't think I ever want to tell them until we're ready to pass it over because I don't want them to get complacent, not feel as though they need to work, you know, 
those things. I worry about spoiling my chi- my child. I really don't <laughs> want them to be spoiled. So I really want them to understand the value of money. So us investing on behalf of them is kind of a, almost like a secret, even though they'll probably come across me talking about it and be like, hey, where, where's this money? <laughs> where's that pot? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't tell you. It's a secret. So that's one way where we want to kind of set them up. And ideally, if it comes to a time where they maybe want to put a down payment, we can help them out or going to school or what what starting a business there might be a time in their life where this money would would be fantastic for them and that's why we're putting that aside so that's one way that i'm thinking about it the other way that we're thinking about it is that we really want them to be involved in the process of investing so as they're you know collecting coins and and making some money on the side putting it aside being able to set goals up whether that's you know to buy some kind of toy or a longer horizon, like a trip somewhere maybe at some point or their first car, that there's something that they can work towards and we can work towards that together and encourage them, set a goal and see that money grow. Because I think with compounding, it's something that you visually need to see, whether it's a you know compound interest calculator that you're using. I know Perler has like different goal settings so you can actually mm. see what happens if you invest more or less. That visual side is so helpful, especially for kids, even adults. I love it. I love seeing that. Oh man, if I put in an extra thousand dollars, I'm going to get to that goal faster as opposed to, you know, I'm doing this thing and I don't know when my end goal is, or I don't know when I'm going to hit that end goal. So it's twofold. It's like, we're doing the thing on the side as parents, because we don't know what the future is going to hold whether they'll need a down payment or support or none of the above. But it's nice to have an emergency investment, safety, future, financial independence in however way they want to use that. And then the other side is how do we teach them about their own money? How do we help them grow their own money, which is much, much more hands-on? Would you say then what you invest in specifically is also the same? Yeah, that's a great question. Slightly different. With them, I think there's a higher risk tolerance because they have a longer time horizon. So. Mm-hmm. That's the way that I've thought about it. I also invested ethically or as ethically as I could um, in ESGs for them. So focusing more on that because that's something that I think quite a lot about in terms of having kids and sustainability and <laughs> the environmental impact. I mean, I do as well, but that's especially for them. And they have no other investments such as property or crypto or any of that stuff. So it's, it's just really index funds that's kind of sitting there that are a slightly higher risk, higher growth that are more ethical for them. And would you ever, like, let's say they turn 10 years old and you're trying to get them more involved, would you ever say, hey, let's buy like some individual companies of brands that you love and let's, you know, let's just put $10 in and see how they move. Like you you like iPhones maybe, let's, you know, jump into that. Do you ever see that being something that you do or, or is that like against your mindset because it's not index funds anymore? Yeah, that's such a great way of thinking about it is like, is it against your philosophy or what you're thinking about in terms of how you would invest versus Mm -hmm. the teaching mechanism? And I think there's room for both. And I think that that's where that example of being able to teach without, you know, sit down textbook teaching is very practical. Listen, you use an iPhone, you have an iPad for school. What if we invest in that? And what does that look like? And what does that actually mean? You know, there's shareholders in this company, and this is how the company works. It also 
just gives them a better understanding of how the world works and business. You know, you might be surprised and your kid all of a sudden is very interested in business and they never would have because you talked to them about investing. So I think having those examples are great, but then also talking about percentage wise. Well, do we want to put all our money in one company? What does it mean to put all our money in one company? What's the risk tolerance there? You know, that gives you an example of being able to talk about risk with your kid as well. So I think that's a fantastic example about that. And I know it gives them a real life example that is tangible as opposed to, I put money in this bank and it does a thing and I have more money now, but I don't understand (laughs) how it really works. Which is basically how most of us grew up. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's gambling, right? It's a casino. You don't, my dad always says, I played the stock exchange. I'm like, what does that even mean? You played the stock exchange. You're like, father, (laughs) stop it. It's not the education we want to give our kids. (laughs) Another question I wanted to ask was around the strategies you have in place or if you've if you've thought about what you're going to do to stop generational wealth subsiding generation by generation. Studies so have shown that 90% of generational wealth, like the wealth we create, will be lost by our grandchildren. So we create a lot of money for them, we create wealth, we buy a home for them, they don't have to, you know, do things that maybe we had to do. But then that leads to maybe complacency perhaps or it leads to them going well this is just how life always is how do you balance that because I know you said that part of your strategy is not letting them really know that they've got perhaps a nest egg helping them is there anything else that you are thinking of doing or do you think that's the main one that's going to take you there I think it comes to down to value and hard work and those things can be taught right I think as you hand your kids more things as you do. I think we talked about that, you know, as parents, we want to buy things and do things for our kids and help our kids. We have to kind of stop and take a step back and make them learn the value of these things. It's so easy to pass those things on without them thinking about it. You know, you always do my laundry and you always make my sandwiches. You're always going to give me money. And that mentality is a really hard one to break, but it comes down, I think, often from like that scarcity mindset that potentially generations who immigrated, my parents as well, there wasn't a lot. They had to work hard and they were proud of their kids and wanted to give their kids things, which is kind of why the next generation and the generation after spends it all because they've done that. So it comes back to understanding the value of money, talking about money, why it's important, and actually showing how it's all impacted. Again, it goes back to that delayed gratification. If you're going to get this toy right away and you don't need to save up for it, why would you save up for it if mm. you know my parents are going to buy that for me? I actually think that we don't give enough thought to it because if we did, we wouldn't have 90% of wealth being lost. But I think you, I just, and I can only imagine how hard it is. I, in my own experience, very similar parental story and background. So when we would go to the grocery store, I remember my dad would always say like, get whatever you want. Like if you want those extra like chocolate bars, grab them. Even to this day, when I go back and visit, if my dad goes to the grocery store and I'm over, he'll buy like five chocolate bars. And it's just like, why? And he'll put them in the fridge. And it's because he didn't get to do that growing up. And so it's the, I didn't get to, so let me do it for you. And would you say you almost have to like look internally and go, what did I miss out on? And therefore maybe I'm overcompensating with my children's spending. Do you think that's something that happens? Yeah. Yeah. And I think grandparents do it. If, you, if you're fortunate enough to have grandparents in your life, they, they want to spoil those kids too. The biggest thing about being a parent is having to 
reflect on who you are and your parenting style. Because how we were raised will deeply impact how we raise our kids. And our relationship with money will deeply impact our children's relationship with money. And if we're in debt and trying to pay that off and we're stressed and we're anxious, our kids will pick that up and that will probably be a very similar relationship that they'll have with money. There is that kind of balance that happens as well. You know, if your parents are very frugal, you might go on the other end and want to spend a lot or vice versa. But again, it impacts us, whether we're rebelling against what our parents did or embracing it, it's very similar when it comes to money as well. Yeah, I 100% agree. If you had to think about like someone listening into this episode and going, all right, I, I hear what you're saying. I understand that there are so many different mechanisms in place that I can use towards, you know, creating a better future for my children, but also tying into the whole idea at the start of this episode, which was we do place a lot of emphasis on like, oh, you're a mother now and everything that you do relates to your children. Every question that you might get asked in an interview about parenthood relates back to making their life easier because that's, you know, the conventional thing. It's the right thing, quote unquote. But I have to ask, what is something that you did for yourself financially outside of, you know, the little treats here and there? What was a part of your daily routine or weekly routine where you said, you know what, this is literally just for me because it makes me a better person, not just a better mother, but a better human. And I'm happy to invest or spend time in this. Could you give us a couple of things that you were splurging on during that time for you? Uh, Definitely food. I think parenthood can be very isolating, especially in that very first time, first year, first time that you're a parent. And I think investing in food, being able to get Uber Eats or whatever it is to your house can sometimes make your life easier, but especially going out for brunch. I think when I look back, I spent a lot of money going out on brunch because that was the only chance I could see someone, connect with someone, be able to be out of my house and not think about baby stuff and laundry and, you know, cleaning up baby messes. So definitely food. I am living for this. Like the fact that you've said food makes me so happy because how many times on a financial podcast do you hear women say, you know what really helped me during my pregnancy? Spending money on myself to eat. It's not even something that's going to like look nice on a wall. It's not like new furniture. It is something that is helpful for me in the 30 minutes that I eat it. And that makes me feel better for like a day. And I love that. And I think we need to give more time and emphasis on what we can do to enjoy our lives and not just focusing on what we can do to be more productive for other people. It is really important, right? Like I think we often sacrifice so much of ourselves, like as a parent for someone else that it, you do need to take that time for yourself. So whether you go take a walk and have a coffee, those moments of bliss are just fantastic. I think another one that I just thought of, which sounds so ridiculous when you say it is like taking a shower that's uninterrupted. It is magic. All the best ideas pop into your head. No one's bothering you. You know, like moments of peace that you don't get, that you know that no one's going to, you know, barge in because someone else is looking after your child. Those things are actually really important for your mental health because, you know, postnatal depression is a real thing. And men also experience it. So it's not just a, a thing for pregnant, you know, mothers who gave birth. Other people can experience it as well. 
And it's important to look after yourself because the financial side can be stressful. You know, kids are really expensive. I think a typical middle income family in Australia raising two kids up to 18 years is around $812,000. That's a lot of money. So money comes and goes, but really what's important is your mental health, your relationship with you and your children, your partner as well, if you have one. That's the fundamental thing that you kind of need to look back on. So, you know, if you, want to have that ice cream in bed before you're watching Netflix, which I'm going to admit I totally do. It is sometimes the best piece of money you've spent because it brings you happiness. And that's really, you need to look after yourself. No one else will. You need to look after yourself. No one else will. I think that is the best quote I have heard all day, all week. This has been so fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode and being so vulnerable, sharing so many great insights. I have definitely taken away so much. I mean, I don't have children. I don't think I'm planning to anytime soon, but I will actually come back and listen to this. This was basically for my benefit. And I'll be like, oh, that's right. I need to buy myself more food. I need to spend time on myself and I need to stop feeling guilty for doing those things and investing strategies. Don't actually have to change that much, but you do have to be mindful of like, well, my newborn is probably going to be on this earth longer than my financial independence goals. So I need to like think of my investment risk strategies. It's just been so fun. Thank you a million times over for jumping on again. And you know what? This probably is not the last time we'll be hearing from you. <laughs> Thanks so much, Sim. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> now, if you have enjoyed this episode and you want to learn more, where can we find you? What's your Instagram handle? What where's the new podcast? And more importantly, if you want to get started investing, where do we learn more? Yeah, fantastic. You can find me at Anna Christina on any socials. I work for Perler and you can look up Perler on social or Perler.com. Also, you can check out our podcast, which is the Get Rich Slow Club podcast. And um, you can find that wherever you're listening to podcasts. And guys, this isn't just another podcast. This podcast reached the top, I think it was top two in the business mm -hmm. charts very recently, just when they launched. It's been fantastic. I've been loving it. Definitely check it out. Anna, thank you again for joining us today. Thanks so much, Sim. Have a great day. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence.